0: This is the OANDA Podcast, brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the OANDA Market Insights Podcast, brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast and now available on Android and on iTunes. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week I'm joined by OANDA Senior Market Analyst Craig Erlem to review the stories that made the business and market headlines, as well as look forward to the business week ahead. And it's hello again to Craig Earlham. How are you doing? Very good. The sun is shining and the weekend's here. And England are still in the World Cup. (laughs) We're still in the World Cup. By some fluke. We started the week with a bit of a sell-off, but I believe that that is not your market moment of the week.
1: It's not. And for once, it's nice to be talking about something positive uh, as a market moment of the week. And it feels like for the last couple of months, it's always been a negative story. But this week, it's the deal that was reached overnight. In typical EU fashion, it was at 4.30 in the morning. I think all of these summits should just start at midnight, having sleep-deprived leaders uh, enter the room, and maybe these things could all be wrapped up much quicker. But hey-ho. It was the deal on immigration. Now, it'll be interesting to see how this is carried out and how successful it is, but I can't understate just how important this deal is. We've got a populist government in Italy, which is ruffling some feathers, particularly in relation to this. We've got a rise of populist parties across uh, the world, not just across Europe, but we are seeing that a lot in Europe as well who are rallying on the back of immigration. We know that, for example, in the UK during the Brexit vote, this was one of the key talking points, and Trump is doing the same in the US right now. So it's clearly a factor that's influencing how people are voting. And we've also got a very unsteady government in Germany, with Angela Merkel's sister party, the CSU, having to become a little bit hawkish on immigration because they are facing an election later this year where the AFD are closing in on one of their typical strongholds. So so much instability could have come as a result of this and yet They've found a deal that all are agreed on, which lays the groundwork for people trying to uh, come into the EU, the sharing of uh, the burden uh, and the financial burden as well. I think this is a massive deal and I think that's why markets have responded so positively.
0: Yeah, the euro is stronger, isn't it? Has this strengthened the EU's hand
1: because this was a weak point for the EU and now they've got over that? It's a weak point for the EU. Uh, Again, we can't get too carried away and say that that we've almost got over it because it seems every time there's a step forward, there's half a step back uh, with the EU. And we saw that with the elections, for example, last year went swimmingly and this year went less so. It was a distraction more than anything else, I think, for the EU because this has to become their priority. The, the future of the EU is their ultimate priority. So the Brexit almost took a back seat. And that's why, despite the fact that we've hit this kind of end of June deadline, we haven't really seen it as much in the news. And the fact that the UK is dragging its feet on releasing its white paper hasn't been met with the same fire and fury that we would have expected had this uh, immigration crisis not come to the forefront of their attention and priority
0: the uh, euro has uh, strengthened on this uh, news about the immigration agreement. But the pound has also jumped because we've had this new GDP data coming through. Economic growth for UK has been revised up for the first quarter of the year. That was after construction data was found to be stronger than earlier estimates. Not a huge amount. First three months to March, was 0.2% as an upgrade, but still a surprise nonetheless from the earlier estimate of 0.1. The pound has jumped on this, but mainly because of speculation about the possibility of an interest rate rise, because perhaps the economy is in a better
1: state. That's exactly correct. This it'd be easy in normal times for markets to relatively shrug this off, because, like you say, 0.1 to 0.2 quarterly growth, it's not anything to write home about. Annual growth was actually unchanged at I think 1.2%. What this means though, and this is I think this is the important thing, the growth in the first quarter was one of the key reasons why the Bank of England held off on raising interest rates in May. This reaffirms or this confirms their suspicions that A, the quarter wasn't as bad as thought as we thought, and B, that it was just a blip based on the weather. So this effectively has put an August rate hike back on the table. And when you're coming on the back of some other improved data, the PMIs have been slightly improved, retail sales bounced back last month, and also that All-important third vote by Andy Haldane last week for a rate hike. All of a sudden, August looks much more likely. Last time I checked, markets priced in a 56% chance now of an interest rate hike in August. I briefly mentioned the sell-off at the beginning of the week, but
0: shares did recover. And it's been quite a topsy-turvy week, hasn't it, for stock markets?
1: It has. Uh, There's been this underlying negativity because of trade we saw the market sell off at the start of the week and this again it relates to the us and china and this uh, ongoing tit-for-tat threats back and forth we also had those reports out the wall street journal i think it was um about the fact that the U- the trump administration was looking to limit the ability of firms with 25 percent chinese ownership buying u.s companies or u.s tech companies um, and there was also uh, other things being speculated on top of that so that hit the markets earlier on in the week and just added to this negative news story and then this has been rejected by trump and uh, and his colleagues um, who have said that this is not the correct story we are still getting mixed messages on this Um, so steve mnuchin the treasury secretary i think it was or was it peter navarro uh, who was saying that this isn't about china this is the u.s is looking to effectively punish Any country that looks to steal its tech, but you would again think that that is primarily targeted uh, at China. Anyway, I think we'll learn a lot more over the next couple of weeks, but this underlying negativity really has weighed on markets this week, which is why the bounce back today is all the more important because it was driven by a new positive news story. Staying with the tariffs
0: big news at the beginning of the week which we discussed on the business breakfast was about Harley Davidson of course that iconic truly American brand suggesting that it's going to move its manufacturing operations outside of the USA because of the tariffs.
1: It's an inevitable consequence of this trade war and it's something that Trump's going to have to learn to deal with because they're not looking to move their entire operation. We have to remember this. The way Trump's been tweeting would suggest that they've threatened to move their entire operation. The US still accounts, I think, for 50% of of the sale of its uh, bikes. So, they're still going to have a main operation there but they're not going to want to pay a tariff when they can instead open another operation that can sell into europe so that was the statement that it made i think what caught people off guard is that as you say harley davidson is a massively iconic u.s brand so to hear them coming out and effectively going against the administration was something as a surprise trump took a very cautious approach to begin with which is what we discussed on the show earlier in the week where he didn't want to he didn't criticize them quite like he has other firms but then you he almost gauged the reaction in the day or so after see how their employees are responding see how the american public's responding and everyone's quite hostile towards harley davidson and then you saw trump really ramp it up and just ride the wave of hostility towards harley davidson suggesting that that's just what they do they were probably planning to do this anyway etc i just think this is a natural reaction to tariffs it's
0: one of those you're either with us or against us scenarios there's no middle ground really is there
1: now, Trump seems to be finding that he is the support that he receives from his core base will, uh, excuse the pun, trump anything else. And that includes these massively iconic, popular American brands.
0: Talking of iconic brands, let's move to the other side of the Atlantic and John Lewis. Uh, for so long, John Lewis and indeed its supermarket arm, Waitrose one of the darlings of the high street an amazing success story post economic crisis they've bucked the trend on so many occasions is that about to end they're closing i think it's four stores nationwide so it's not it's not a huge not like marks and spencer but is this a sign of the times is this mainly to do with the model of online versus uh, high street changing or is there something deeper than that
1: Well, on the one hand, I should be a little bit embarrassed because in previous podcasts, uh, I have identified them as the shining, light. what companies should be doing if they want to make a success. But then the other side of that is They're actually doing what uh, a company like that should be doing. So what they're doing is very positive. It doesn't sound great. The first half of the year, they're not going to make any money. But they're also investing, I think it was around $500 in this transformation, you can call it. They are future-proofing the business. And had some of these other brands, the Maplins, et cetera, of this world, future-proofed their business five years ago, maybe they wouldn't be going bust today. John Lewis is recognizing that this is a changing consumer market they have recognized the importance of online and they adapted a long time ago and now they're recognizing that the consumer experience is evolving and they need to be ahead of the curve on that and it was interesting that they highlighted the new westfield store in uh, white city about the fact this the the personal shoppers the experience and again we discussed this on the thursday show as well because that's uh, a store that i went into myself recently i'm about to have my first child i know nothing about the type of things that you need for a child one of the experiences which they offer is an appointment and it's completely free of charge because they know overall they'll make their money back and more later on and they take you through everything that they have in the store what you need what you don't need what What's got highly high recommendations? What's got good reviews, etc. Not always even the highest priced things. It's just very much an information service. They build your wish list so that someone wants to buy you something, they can just go on the website, like a wedding wish list. It's a fantastic free service that is going to pay dividends, and the results that they show from the personal shoppers support this. Other stores
0: are available, by the way, Craig.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're starting to see my uh, my, oh, my preferences. Yes, but the, I, that the John Lewis
0: baby carriage is on its way to you as we speak. <laughs> Seriously though they're not resting on their laurels it was a shock to see that data coming through because it is John Lewis but you're right actually they're just they're keeping above water while they can
1: they're keeping above water and they're staying ahead of the curve. And I think a number of businesses need to look to do the same. I think the best thing that can happen right now for the House of Fraser's and the Debenhams of this world, which are shutting stores as well, is they look towards what John Lewis is doing and say, how can we do the same to ensure that the stores which are open remain open and we future-proof this business? And ultimately, at the end of the day, consumers now have a choice. I can shop online and go on certain websites where these products are cheaper and do it at home while watching TV. But if I come out... I want to come out and get an experience. The high street is changing, and it's changing for the better.
0: Let's finish this section off with a subject very close to your heart, and that's beer. (laughs) Actually, in this case, it's, it's CO2, and it's actually quite a serious problem. The carbon dioxide shortage will start affecting some supplies to supermarkets this weekend. This is according to the Food and drink federation as you may know co2 is used to amongst other things stun farm animals and put fizz into carbonated drinks and it's used in packaging as well but it's in short supply this is right in the middle of a world cup as well and we all know about the feel-good factor because england by some fluke are in the last 16 uh, perhaps I'm being a bit unkind, there. <laughs> but you know, you, you can't go without carbonated drinks during a very hot summer and a World Cup. The timing is appalling.
1: Yeah, and again, as you, as you rightly pointed out, we're all we're talking about is beer, but it's actually used in other in other areas as well, which is far more important than whether we've got a pint in our hand while we're watching the football. Or I'm while... not sure about that. Greg, <laughs> carry on. But yeah, I mean, it, it couldn't happen at the worst time. We're currently going through an incredible heatwave, what we deem a heatwave in the UK. We've got the World Cup on right now. We've got that real feel-good factor. Everyone's going out to the pubs and to the different places to watch the match. England are actually doing well. My dark horse tip, by the way, I just want to point that out. And then we've got Wimbledon next. So if the heatwave can continue, yeah. people are actually may actually start to notice this. And like I said, there are obviously more important things as well.
0: Finally, what are you looking ahead to for the week to come?
1: I think the ne- next week is going to be quite interesting. Some of the tra- uh, trade issues are going to continue to linger. In terms of economic data, we do have uh, a few interesting points, most notably the US jobs report on Friday. So that's always uh, that's widely regarded as the most important economic report uh, of each calendar month. We've also got things like the Fed minutes on uh, Wednesday, which I think people will be paying very close attention to. We have to remember the US central bank recently, at the recent meeting, upgraded its forecast for interest rate hikes this year from three to four. So clearly got that more hawkish tone. It'll be interesting to see what they have to say On that, we also have a couple of like uh, UK data points as well, the PMIs, for example, and also the Reserve Bank of Australia uh, releases its latest interest rate decision on Tuesday. So, as you can see, action packed, but I think everyone's head's just going to be on the football, to be honest. Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. And hopefully, this time next week, England
0: will still be in the World Cup. Who knows? We can only hope. (laughs) That is Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at OANDA. And don't forget, we are now available on iTunes and on Android. Have a great week.